DSOs, OSOs, DTC. What do these mean to a neighborhood private orthodontic practice in 2021 and beyond? I know it's like alphabet soup. And how do they impact the future of orthodontists that are just starting out? When we asked ourselves these questions, we quickly knew that there's one person who has the answers, Chris Benson. Yep. Welcome to the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, the podcast that makes you the authority in orthodontics in your community. Get ready for insights on how to compete on expertise and trust against mail order in retail orthodontics. It's not always about the lowest fees. And now, from the People in Practice team, your hosts, Dr. Leon Klempner and Amy Epstein. Our guest today needs no introduction. However, if you're a recent grad or resident, here you go. Chris Benson is a partner at Benson Coppola & Associates based in Greensboro, North Carolina. The company serves the orthodontic community by performing practice valuations, providing recruiting services, and negotiating transactions with both buyers and sellers. Chris has authored dozens of articles published on the business of orthodontics in numerous orthodontic publications. He also serves as editor-in-chief of the Benson Koppel Resource, a quarterly newsletter focused on the business aspects of running a successful orthodontic practice. Benson Koppel & Associates exclusively provides service to orthodontists, and the resource is an extension of the company's commitment to providing valuable business information to orthos throughout the nation. Chris has personally visited over 1,000 ortho practices in the U.S., Canada, and Australia during his 30-year career. He has excellent relationships with consultants and vendors within the industry, and we are really happy to have him here today. Thank you for coming, Chris, and welcome. It's always great to be with you, Amy and Leon. Thank you very much. So, Chris, um, nice to have you back. And let's let's start with addressing the elephant in the room. We've had a crazy year, unlike anything yeah. I've ever seen in my 40-year career as a practicing orthodontist. But, you know, many of our practices were closed down. And when, when reopened, everyone needed to adapt to a new state health guideline or some new protocol. In your opinion, um, what do you think will be the most enduring effect of the pandemic for orthodontic practice owners? Yeah, that's that's a question that folks like me uh, spend an enormous amount of time trying to sift through data and 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 figure out what's going to happen. But I think um, I think the most enduring effect will be as an accelerant to digital, and I think that is true just in the things that we know and think and translate about digital as clinicians but also digitally how the consumer um, communicates with our offices, our practices, and how our team members uh, can be deployed digitally. Um, so education, I guess, or communication chains, but uh, there has been an enormous acceleration of what used to take decades um, to, to grow and get to a certain adoption level. Um, COVID accelerated these points to where it just took weeks or, or months uh, to, to cover, you know, what would be decades. So I think as an accelerant to digital, and I could expound on it, but uh, that's, that's my conclusion. 
Chris, that makes a lot of sense. And it sort of, you know, jibes with where we're seeing things as well. There are so many new and not so new technologies that could really benefit orthodontic practices that I guess if there's any sort of uh, silver lining here, it's that you know, the practices are sort of adopting them more quickly or, you know, getting more comfortable out of need. Um, and, and it actually could be very helpful to their practices. Uh, I would totally agree. I mean, we all jumped where on March 17th uh, to try to figure out how we could communicate virtually with a, with a patient or a prospective patient. And um, prior to that, doctors weren't sure they liked the idea. Staff weren't sure they could execute the idea. And we weren't at all sure if the consumer would accept the idea. And what we found out was our, our teams could do it. Uh, the consumer liked it. And the doctors could actually make good progress. You know, you've got to be face-to-face -face a little bit. But um, that's not going to rewind. We're going to necessarily, the consumer's going to demand fewer visits in the office. And we can do that virtually. And we can do that also with aligners better than brackets probably. Um, mm -hmm. Although there are some digital bracket companies that are making great progress. Mm -hmm. and, um, and we're going to be able to deploy, I think, some team members from home uh, in the future and, and be able to leverage digital communication um, better that way as well. So, yeah, we learned a lot. Yeah. And we're, you know, we, there's a mix out there in terms of how this is all being um, taken on and, and with what sort of attitude and outlook that it's being taken on. And so we have a lot of clients that have embraced this sort of technology, implementing it. it's really working for them. We have some that are slower to implement it, but still are looking at technologies that may help in, in this regard moving forward. But then at the same time, you know, we're a member of all the Facebook ortho groups and, you know, listen to the chatter and, and comment and engage. And we do hear a lot of commentary, especially with um, some of the newer orthodontists or ortho residents that are concerned. Um, there's a little bit of doom and gloom and, and about the outlook of the orthodontic industry, especially as it relates to the way it's changing right now. What advice would you offer younger orthodontists that are looking to own a practice? I mean, is, is owning the practice even still advisable um, these days? It is advisable, and it's the way the majority of uh, doctors, specialists in the orthodontic field are, are going to practice. I mean, it's going to take a while. What they're afraid of is, you know, is direct-to-consumer with, uh, you know, small direct club and bite and some of the other options out there. Candid going to take over the world? The answer is no. Um, they're going to take over some market share, and I think as orthodontists, we're going to be able to actually tap into that, what, what they've discovered is, is a real market. Um, and when you look at corporate, you know, that's the other big fear that young doctors have, you know, am I going to be able to compete as a solo practitioner or a small group practice against corporate? The answer is yes. Um, and the answer is yes, as far as many decades out as I can see, which is a long ways, I think. And so, yeah, if I had a child that wanted to be an orthodontist, knowing what we know about the marketplace, I'd say, uh, never better. We're going to go digital. We're going to have a smaller footprint. We're going to do a lot of aligners and we're going to do some form of direct to consumer um, kind of mini aligners. And we're going to treat our, our patients as a lifetime consumer of orthodontics. Um, mm -hmm. That is to say that um, most orthodontists today, you know, say you're in retention for 18 months and then, you know, 
don't come see me again um, because we didn't want those that chair time filled up with a bunch of retention visit uh, visits as our practices matured. But I think we're going to switch to, you know, when you get out of my practice at 11 or 12, if you're still in town at 22, at 44, at 64, these are opportunities for tune-ups and we're going to be doing a lot of what we see on a small direct club and the DTC things. If we start to market our practices as uh, it's a lifetime with, with my practice and we offer tune-ups down the road that aren't as comprehensive, but take a lot less time, a lot less hassle, but then you can come in for a scan. We can get you some aligners and we can tune you up through the course of your life. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, the, you know, the DSO thing and OSO, I guess, was that orthodontic service organizations, you know, specific right. to OSO the is industry. just uh, orthodontic centric versus dental centric. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, these phenomenons are, are scary to, to most practitioners and our, our competition, definitely. But on the other hand, there are also uh, opportunities to get into the field, get some experience, pay off some debt. You know, I, a, a lot of our residents are coming out and they need a place to go. And, you know, when I was in practice, the model was that, you know, you would become an associate and then the associateship would lead to partnership and then you would be a partner. And that was the way you got into, into practice unless you started from scratch. But that model pretty much is dead right now, I would think, because practices have to be, you know, productive enough and growing fast enough to absorb somebody young coming in. So the DSOs actually create an opportunity in, in, in one sense for the residents to actually make some money and, and pay off their debt. But I know that, uh, that, that most orthos are, are afraid of them. What do, you, what do you think about them moving forward? I know they're growing quickly. Um, they serve a different population. How do you think they, they will fare as time goes by? Uh, I think they'll continue to gain market share. I mean, but um, I don't have a quarrel with anything you just said, except for the term dead. Um, you can still start up. You can still thing. get out of school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can was... still go at it, get out of school and buy. Partnerships, you know, are hiring you have a lot more choices now. So in a sense, it's a, it's a much better time to graduate than when you mm -hmm. did Leon, because you, mm -hmm. you, you can solve for, I want to go with a corporate group and make the most money. But when you really look at the data, you know, 6% of our 9,000 orthodontists in the United States are with OSOs or some, something that looks very much like an OSO, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so there's not that many of them right now. They are growing, but you know, so the rest of us are, you know, associates with either general dental practices or pedo practices or historically with orthodontic practices or owners. And so that's a small percentage. Where's that percentage going to go over time? It's going to go higher on the corporate side, but it's going to take a long time to get there. And um, so you can bring you, you, you can make, you know, great value. If I if I sit down with a resident for an hour and I say, let's just solve for lifetime economic return on a solo practice that does four days a week, one office, $1.25 million at 60% overhead. 
I could show that residence that they'll end up with more money in their back pocket than they will doing any other you know, form of uh, modality, working for a PETA, working for a general dentist, working uh, for a, a corporation. Uh, can you right out of school make more money with a corporation than, than following that path? Yes. And that's what we're seeing. People are getting out of school, afraid to start um, because of the economy, because of school debt, because of the OSOs that are growing and some fear. But once they get their feet under them, they're bouncing out in the first five years and they're buying practices or partnering with other practices and they're doing great. So, um, you know, if you solve for economic return, uh, uh, solo ownership or small group ownership is still the best economic return over a 35 year career. How's that for an outlook? I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm bullish on it. I mean, you can do whatever you want. And if you don't want to work, you want to work three days a week. You know, and uh, not be as tied down to a practice or don't feel like you want that skill set to make the phone ring and hire people and do all the HR, then group practices are accelerating. There's more options there. So, you know, I just think there's a lot more choices today. And I think that can be a good thing. I think the, you know, the DTC alphabet soup thing, direct to consumer, we have stiff armed that as a specialty because we are trained only to treat to perfection and perfect, um, you know, results. And we're going to have to get away from that, I think, to thrive as solo and small group practitioners. We're going to have to do some DTC-esque type of treatment. Hmm. And no one's doing that right now. No one's figured out how to bifurcate that kind of lower level treatment option and and do it well. But we're going to figure that out. And uh, that's going to help grow practices. You know, we've been saying for for a long time that that this is the golden era of orthodontics and that there has never been a better time and we've been ridiculed for it but we really strongly believe it for you know forward-thinking um, orthodontists that leverage you mentioned the, the the digital model I mean it applies to patient acquisition and you know that's the business that yep. we're in and um, those practices that are, are embrace that um, channel to reach new patients are, are doing very, very well. And, and to speak to your point about um, reaching out to the, the DTC market, which they've created a tremendous appetite for, um, we've been uh, pushing our clients to establish you know, tiered pricing and to go after the, the low-hanging fruit the easy cases, the retreats, not to just abandon them, but to actually market for them. So um, we couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, I think, and Amy and Leon, to your to your original question, you know, what is the enduring effect of the pandemic? It's it's as an accelerant and all these things digital. The other the other thing we really learned was, you know, when you when you examine who did better during the the initial six, eight, ten week shutdowns that we had, depending on where you lived. It was practices that had a engaged with a consultant, whether that was your company or one of the many great consultants that the, 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 there's a cadre of which you know you can choose from. Those practices did better. How come? Because my my company is only ten employees, a uh, couple partners, and we had the same struggles. We'd never furloughed people before. How do you do that? We'd never, you know, PPP, and and we were on all the Zoom meetings that you guys were on, trying to figure out those people. But the folks that had consultants had some group think that was positive, had uh, input from many opinions and sources, 
and they made decisions better and faster than the solo and small group practices did that had to figure it out themselves. So you were kind of felt alone um, a little bit if you were an entrepreneur. So, you know, one of the one of the other lasting effects that, you know, I've been preaching this for a long time, but only 20 percent of our of our doctors ever engage with somebody like you guys. And we think that's just ridiculous, because if you look at the return on investment for having some consultants in your life all the time, yeah, there, there's not a better place to spend money as an orthodontic owner. And so we know that um, and encourage doctors that, you know, going forward, you know, attach yourself to a group. And you mentioned the Facebook groups and all the noise on there. You know, that's probably the last place that I want to get information because there's so many opinions and it's not so focused. But uh, a group like yours and the many, many kind of consultants you can bring into your life, we think um, help you perform better. And that will continue over time. So there's a lot of change and you're going to have to change. And that's uncomfortable for us. Have somebody help you. Yep. Thank you for saying that. Um, and, yeah. You know, we we do see that just even in the value of having other opinions from other non-competing orthodontists around the country, um, being able to, this is what exactly what we did. It's like, you know, after a while of, of in March talking to individual doctors, we just said, you know what, we need to have some group chats. See, what are you doing? You're ahead of us in this. What's happening here? You know, how is it going to affect states that are actually behind in the pandemic? What's going to happen? You know, just getting a sense of what the trajectory is. Um, and that was really, I think, helpful for everyone involved. Um, Chris, let me switch gears for a moment. Um, what we do typically on the podcast is invite callers to submit questions that they'd like to have answered. And so we'd like to play one of those for you now. Sure. Hey, hi, Chris. Ron Redmond here, coming to you from Orange County, California. I've got a couple of questions for you. First one, in this uh, post-COVID environment and economy, how do you recommend balancing contracts receivable and paid in fulls? Seems to me that there's a way to ease the pain, uh, depending on how you structure it. My second question is, explain a little bit about what your thoughts are about direct-to-consumer, let's say Smile Direct Club, and the orthodontic profession in our offices, and the void in between. How will that void be used? Will the orthodontic profession realize we need to do direct-to-consumer to compete with SDC? I don't think SDC is going to go away. Anyway, I look forward to your answers. Thank you. Wow, that's a lot to unpack. Um, thank you, Ron. Um, insightful, no surprise uh, coming from your brain. Let me take, there was two basic questions. Uh, the first one, how does contracts receivable and paid in full and kind of a really a cash flow factor into kind of our post-COVID view. Um, I, you know, first of all, I will say that, um, you know, when we when we looked at 2020 as, as a full 12 months, what we saw basically was practices were off in production by um, about 8%. They were off in net collections by about 6%, and they were off in starts by about 8%. So that, that's kind of how the profession on average ended 2020. That's actually just enormously positive um, results. And the bounce back for orthodontics uh, post-COVID was tremendous. Um, the issue that I started thinking about for practitioners in 2021 was if you were shut down half of March, all of April, and depending on where you live, some of May, 
you can't make up that production. And as we just heard, we were down about 8% of production. So even if you're operating today in January and February of 2021 at kind of pre-COVID um, pace of business, um, what you will feel in your checking account is that, you know, somebody grifted some dollars from your wallet and it just feels a little bit lighter. Why? Because we lost those months in production in early 2021 when we were shut down and we're not going to fully make those up. So when you do, and we've done the analysis on this with the help of uh, some really great analysts from Align that helped us look at this, but when you really do the analysis on it, it takes until October of 2022, uh, that was 2-2, 2022 for most practices to fully recover their contract receivable balances and their cash flow to pre-COVID levels, just being down 8%. So it's, a, you know, you're not going to feel like, gosh, all my money's gone. You're just going to feel a little bit lighter. And yet this is time to invest in your practice. You've got a lot of people. Uh, still with some pent-up demand, um, and we've got a lot of people with a lot of extra cash. There's $2.3 trillion extra dollars in savings accounts on the consumer side today than there was a year ago because of all the stimulus and fiscally that we've, we've put out there. So I think 2021 is going to be a great year. Um, but I think you, uh, as it relates to paid in fulls, to Ron's question, if we'll increase our paid in fulls by, you know, if you're at 5%, take it to 10 If you're at 10%, take it just under 15 If you're at 15, take it to 19. If you're at 20, take it to 23 or so. Increase your paid in fulls is the, is the solution to catching that cash flow up earlier than October of 2022. And if you'll increase it 4 or 5%, uh, your cash flow will feel just like it did pre-COVID and you'll be able to invest those dollars. Uh, you don't want to get it too high, but um, most practices run between 10 and 20% that we value. So increase it. How do you increase it? You increase the discount. And you say, well, am I leaving some money on the table? A little bit, but you'll want to increase your paid in fulls a little bit more and offer it to everybody. So I think that that's my answer to Ron's first question. And the, the second question, you know, is kind of reading our mail, you know, how does how does direct to consumer enter the orthodontic practitioner's life? Um, currently, it does not, except for your clients that I think, you know, have this two tiered pricing. And uh, we're going to have to figure that out, um, you know, and so I think there's a void that's going to be filled by education uh, from companies like y'all's and that there is a great spot for all orthodontic practice owners to speak to this consumer that um, that is finding their way for some, one reason or another to Smile Direct Club and the ilk of those folks. And when you look at that client base, you kind of go, Wow. And there was an article that um, I was someone just shared with me recently that talked about what does that client base look like that's finding its way to direct consumer. It's very, very high educated, high dental IQ, um, above uh, median um, annual income. And so, you know, I've been telling doctors this for a while. You know, these are teachers, firemen, uh, policemen, um, civil servants. I mean, these are folks with good, solid jobs. And what do they want? They want convenience and they want not perfect, but better um, on their smile. And there has been a Zoom effect that's accelerated this as well during COVID. So uh, again, Ron, a lot to unpack. Great questions. Thanks for asking them. And um, hopefully that's helpful. The direct-to-consumer candidate, as you said, are oftentimes professionals looking for a convenience, but also looking at cost. And they've created a tremendous appetite with their marketing dollars that are out there. And 
it, it, it's, it's, they're not bad patients. They're not patients that we don't want. Um, I think that's a, a, a big misunderstanding um, that these are quality patients. They just want something that currently we're not necessarily offering. So, and it doesn't mean, you know, when we say two-tier fees, it doesn't mean that you do poor quality orthodontists in, in, in a lower tier. It just means it's, it's a limited treatment. And as orthodontists, we, there's nobody better than us to determine whether the case can be treated with limited treatment or not. You know, as we all know, there are times when you go ahead and straighten the front teeth and you create all sorts of occlusal interferences and, and unhealthy um, occlusion. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about evaluating uh, each case independently and listening to the chief complaint of our prospective new patients. So mm -hmm. uh, I appreciate those comments and thank you, Ron, for I think calling that's that the in. hard part, you know, Leon. You, you think about when, when the Invisalign came out, 100% of the orthodontic profession got trained on Invisalign. But, you know, today, one out of four cases are done with aligners, still primarily brackets. So it's been a long haul, but it's grown a ton. And now all the bracket companies are focusing everything on aligners. Mm -hmm. um, so it's been interesting. But what did we do as orthodontists? What I saw was everybody, after we got trained on Invisalign, we didn't have a lot of confidence in what we could or couldn't treat. And the product, you know, wasn't there yet. So it's gotten better and better over time. But, you know, somebody came in and said they wanted Invisalign and we did our darndest to convince them that uh, brackets was a better option. You know, this is exactly what we're doing with this DTC customer that says, I'm considering Smile Direct Club and we're putting them in a full face case instead of listening, as you just suggested, to what the consumer really wants that finds its way to our office. And most of them aren't finding their way to your office aren't even brave enough to say that to a doctor um, because they know that there's one answer they get when they come to your office, full face treatment, $6,000, two years. Right. Right. And, that, and that's not what they want. So we got to message differently in order to attract them. And then we got to listen and not try to sell them off of why they came in. Right. Yeah. And I, that is exactly what I was thinking this whole time is that, um, you know, we have a branding issue that needs to be right fixed. so you can offer whatever you want to offer but you really need to be projecting what it is that you're willing to do and what your practice does and it's not just you know high case fees full um you know for treatment uh, that there's flexibility and here's what it is and i think so there's that there's like drawing people in so the the you know reframing the orthodontist in the eyes of the consumer but then there's also if you are going to do a tiered pricing whether it's limited and and full or whether it's three tier or whatever it is it's communicating the expectation to the patient as well, like agreeing on this is what we're going to do. Once you have agreement, then it's not limited. It's not, okay, we're only going to do this much and it's sub subpar or inferior. It's we're going to fix these challenges and we're going to give you this, you know, get agreement on it. And all the issues that everyone's afraid of are resolved. So you know, a couple of, of marketing things in there, I think that could um, really help in, uh, in, I I think Solving so. And, and it, it, yeah, you know, I think there's not enough pain yet, to be honest, in the in the orthodontic practice owner's um, life uh, mm -hmm. to force this change, because I don't think it's 
It's if the practitioner wants to offer two-tier pricing. It's when. When, Um, it, It will happen. Um, and so the progressive practices are engaging with folks like you and others that kind of understand this and figuring out how to message. We haven't got that wired down tight yet because it's a skill set that, again, a consultant's going to have to take you there. You're probably not going to be equipped to do it yourself. But um, it's going to happen or we are going to seed all this extra growth um, to these DTC companies who can outspend us and do all this kind of stuff. But we have, as Leon suggested earlier, a, a better uh, chance of having a relationship with the patient to coach them about what's possible, what's not, set this expectation correctly, if they know that that's even an option in our practice. And they don't right now. And right. so we, we've got to change the message. Um, and then if you don't, you will be, lo- uh, you know, you're not going to, to thrive in this new digital world if you if you don't do this, this direct-to-consumer two-tier deal. Now, the, the ones that get it, earlier are going to thrive you know, faster than the ones that don't, but we're all going there. And I think that that debate for, in my mind is over. And, and, you know, I know we're up against a hard stop and we could go on for hours and we, we'd love to have you back again. But just on that note, it, it's interesting. The data that we're collecting is the low tier fee can be more productive than the full treatment fee because of the treatment time, the ease of the case, uh, use of remote monitoring, progressive orthodontists taking advantage of new technologies that are available can leverage this to uh, incredible profitability. So it, it's not that you have to lose money on these cases. They could be more productive than, than uh, the full treatment cases that can go two, three, four years that are, are, are very complex and difficult to treat. Right. They just need volume. need them coming in the door. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Habits, habits and expectations are hard to, hard to uh, dislodge. And so, you know, that's why, you know, we need practices that engage and, and change and can show that this is the way to go. And we'll, we'll figure it out. I have great mm-hmm. faith and I am, I am bullish that as we've discussed today, the, the, there's some extremely profitable, great years and growth years. Uh, we haven't had a lot of growth in the last decade, really pretty anemic, but I, I think there's some big years. I think 2021 is going to be one of them. Yep. Well, thank you, Chris, so much for taking the time to join us today. We'd love to have you back, as my dad said. Um, If our listeners would like more information about your services or would like to contact you, what would be the best way to reach you? Oh, thank you. You're so kind. Um, uh, You know, I think digitally, uh, let's just go with that theme, right? (laughs) So uh, we've got a website, uh, bensoncoppel.com, and um, you can find all our numbers there. You can actually... um, type us a little note. Uh, we'll get back in touch with you. We do a lot of discussions that don't cost you any money just to kind of, you know, do a blue sky meeting and, and knock some ideas around. And that's why I spend most of my time doing it. I love doing it. I love the profession. Don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Uh, whether you're, you know, 65 years old, 45, or just getting out of school at 30, there's tons of options and um, there's not one way to do it, but they're all good. And uh, we can help you kind of understand which way may be best for you. Thank you so much, Chris. We really appreciate it. And on behalf of our listeners, your your dedication to the profession has been instrumental and monumental. So thank you again. Yeah, it's always great to hear from you guys. I hope uh, let's let's do this again in six or nine months if your listeners will will have us back. I'm sure they will. I hope they will. 
You can subscribe or download other episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed it, we'd appreciate you telling a colleague. For more information about people in practice, you can sign up for our free marketing newsletter on our website at pplpractice.com. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to contact me directly and discuss how we can leverage our marketing agency to help you attract new patients and institute two-tier pricing, shoot me an email at leon at pplpractice.com. Remember, for forward-thinking orthos, it's never been a better time to be an orthodontist. We are in the golden age. Take advantage of it. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us on the Survival Guide for Orthodontists, where we help your practice grow within a massively disrupted industry. Subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on social media. Find us online at thesurvivalguidefororthodontists.com.